Today's special Justice League bonus episode is brought to you by you. Yes, you. The Old Fanboy Podcast is made possible by the generous contributions of my Patreon patrons. Your support means everything to me, and that's why I've worked hard every single day this week to bring you the best Justice League-related content I could create. If you like what you hear today, please visit patreon.com slash lfanboy or lfanboy.com. Now, let's start the show. Hi everybody, Mario Francisco Robles MFR here with you, and this is going to be a special deep dive on Justice League. Now yes, I did kind of have to change and tweak the plan a little bit. Originally, I was going to try to put together a whole round table to discuss the film today in a non-spoiler fashion, but I realized that just it just didn't feel right. You know, Justice League is very much a sort of personal thing for me. Due to my DC fandom and my love of Superman and how much I've wanted this movie to be good and what this franchise in general has meant to me, um, I just felt like I owed you my personal take. You know, earlier this week, I put out a, you know, I, I revisited Man of Steel and I gave you guys an episode based on that. I revisited Batman v Superman and I gave you an episode based on that. And I just feel like I owe Justice League that same level of focus. And if I'm you know, sitting here discussing it with two or three other people, it's going to be more so just sort of watered down. And I really want to give you my, my most direct, most honest, most personal take. Um, so that's what we're going to do today. Uh, you know, the, the, the general sort of sequencing of things is we're going to talk about the box office a little bit. You know, in terms of what it means to the film, because we've got some early numbers in. So we're going to talk about what these early numbers mean, uh, you know, not just to Justice League, but to the DC franchise as a whole. I've also got some news slash, you know, uh, gossip or bochinche about Superman and about Batman that I'd love to clue you guys all in on. And I will wrap things up with my in-depth, non-spoiler review of Justice League. Now, before we get to that, I just want to thank everyone who came out last night for the El Fanboy, you know, event that I put together. We had Unite the Fanboys, a Justice League watch party. I had a great, great time. I got to meet some longtime listeners. I got to drink great drinks, eat great food, and have an enjoyable time watching a Justice League movie surrounded by people who were just as invested as I was, and I always love getting to do that. So for those of you who made it out, thank you so much. It was, it was an honor to, to experience that with you. I also need to attend to a little bit of business here. Uh, there will be a couple of breaks coming up. That's something I've never really done, but you know, I've been basically, I haven't stopped. I have not stopped this show since day one. You know, when, when things with LRM ended very suddenly on a Monday night, I appeared on Tuesday morning with the first episode of this show. At the same time that you were expecting my old one, which was obviously now gone, I came in at the usual slot with this one, and I basically have hit the ground running. But your boy is tired, especially after this past week where I kind of kicked things into overdrive as a special thank you for my Patreon supporters and so on and, and the sort of added exposure that I've been getting lately because the, you know, the the download numbers are going up and I, I can feel this baby growing. So I kind of wanted to seize that. You know, so on Monday, there was a column and a video. On Tuesday, there was a, a standard episode of El Fanboy followed by another video. Wednesday, there was another video. Yesterday was all about the Unite the Fanboys Justice League watch party. And today, we're going to be doing this. And I'm just shot. I'm spent. So uh, the, the, here's what's up in terms of breaks. So I will be back this Tuesday with an official just sort of Justice League postmortem. That is where I will put together a roundtable of other people. We will have a spoiler discussion, and it will be a, you know, a, um, a more sort of standard, more traditional episode. But then after Tuesday the 21st, I will be off until Tuesday, December 5th. I'm going to be skipping the following week 
just to sort of recharge and 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 you know just I, I kind of need to clear my my mind a little bit. I've I've sort of been burning the candle at all ends. Then I will return on Tuesday, December 5th with episode 41 as we begin the build to Star Wars The Last Jedi. Also, by that point, we will be able to look back very firmly at how Justice League did and we'll be able to fully assess the sort of fallout of that film. Uh, then things will, you know, will be normal until Tuesday, December 19th. That'll be the first Tuesday after The Last Jedi comes out on that episode. I'll give you a standard sort of, you know, weekly roundup of the news and the box office and everything, as well as a complete post-mortem on episode eight. And that's when a real break begins. Because after December 19th, that will be my last episode for the year. And I will return on Tuesday, January 9th. All right, so just wanted to give you all a heads up on that. Now, let's talk Justice League. Um, first of all, I kind of wanted to give you uh, an observation on what I noticed yesterday. Um, I tweeted about this, but for those of you who don't follow me on the Twitter, which you really should, I noted that there was a, an interesting sort of divide. The sort of hardcore, geeky type folks like myself found the film to be very flawed, but highly enjoyable. And in general, we spoke about it in terms that were hypercritical, ultimately fairly optimistic, but you know, it was a, you know, it, it was a decidedly sort of mixed reaction, right? There was one person mixed among us who was actually a very, very casual cinema goer who just decided on a whim after they saw me posting about it, on Instagram, they said, hey, I want to come. And I said, okay, come on, you know, come on over. The more the merrier. This person doesn't typically do this. And uh, they said it was amazing. And that to me is very sort of telling. You know, it, it, to me, it almost seems to exemplify what is going to be a very, very big divide here between critics and fans. And, you know, to sort of talk about the big institutions, you know, Rotten Tomatoes and CinemaScore. You know, the Rotten Tomatoes scores, uh, you know, after all the controversy this week of what would it be and how are they going to reveal it and all this sort of stuff, you know, the Justice League Rotten Tomatoes score as of now is 39%. It's been fluctuating a lot, but right now with 199 reviews in, it is rotten and it is 39%. Meanwhile, I fully expect this thing to get an A cinema score because it is a people pleaser. It is a crowd pleaser. It is built for sort of as a mass entertainment vehicle. And based on the fact that the gentleman who joined us yesterday, who doesn't really go to the movies that often, said it was an amazing movie. Those are his words. I'm thinking casuals, walk-up business, people who don't live and breathe this stuff are going to love the hell out of this movie. Whereas the folks who take it very, very seriously, perhaps far too seriously, um, you know, like critics and like people like myself and even just the hardcore hardest of fans are going to be kind of harsh on the thing. So what this means could be very good for Justice League, because if you recall, you know, there was a huge Friday to Sunday drop for Batman v Superman. Because the casuals, the people like the fellow I'm talking about from yesterday, saw the film early and didn't, you know, they, they told their friends not to bother. That's why the Friday to Sunday drop was very, very extreme. And then the second weekend drop was damn near historic at like 68%. You know, it's a drop that is usually reserved for duds. You know, it, it was a drop on par with like X-Men Origins Wolverine because the word of mouth was toxic. The fact that the word of mouth is probably going to be very strong from casual fans, from more sort of mainstream audiences, that bodes well. I have a feeling that this thing is going to finish out the weekend in a respectable level, and the second weekend drop may not be as horrendous as the one for Batman v Superman. Now, a lot of this is just sort of a feeling I have, so rather than focus on my feelings, let's talk about some data. Because now we've got some actual numbers to work with here. A few minutes ago, the box office for the Thursday night previews was released. So this is going to be our initial sort of indicator of where this puppy is heading. And it's not looking that hot. <laughs> it's looking okay, but it's not looking so hot. So Justice League made 
an estimated $13 million on its Thursday night previews, which, you know, that, that's a good number. But when you start stacking it up to other recent comic book films, it kind of gives you an indication where we're heading here. So it's higher than Wonder Woman, which is encouraging, right? Wonder Woman had $11 million on its Thursday night. It's under Batman v Superman last year, though. Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, opened to $15.8 million on its Thursday night preview night. Now, compared to the rest of what's come out this year, is where things start becoming especially telling. It is below Thor Ragnarok, which only two weeks ago opened to $14.5 million. So we're $1.5 mil short of Ragnarok. It's also below Spider-Man Homecoming. Spider-Man Homecoming, which is the second reboot of Spider-Man in the last five years, managed to pull in $15.4 million. So that's a slightly bigger uh, divide there. That's two and a half million bucks separating the two. And it's also way below Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. That's right. The Guardians sequel made more on its Thursday than Justice League did. That one made 17 million bucks. Now, listen, you can't make direct comparisons because, you know, you have to factor in the time of year and was it a holiday and what was the weather like and yada, 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 and so on and so forth. But in terms of this year's Thursday night previews, this thing was better than Wonder Woman. And beyond that, the only other Thursday night preview that Justice League beat was the rated R Logan, which opened to 9.4 million. So that, you know, that's a little bit scary. And it seems to put the film on a trajectory for 110 to 115 million dollars. As a reminder, Thor Ragnarok opened to 122.7 million only two weeks ago. And if you would have asked me a year ago, if there was any chance in hell that Thor 3 was going to make more money than Justice League, I, I, I would have just laughed right at you. I would have laughed for a very, very long time. Because, I, you know, it's Thor. Who the hell gives a crap about Thor, especially after Thor the Dark World? How, how did we end up here where Justice League might not beat Ragnarok and where Justice League... Let's forget about Ragnarok, all right? Even if this thing does move up, right? Even if this thing ends up at 125 or 130, Batman v Superman opened to 166. So the movie that was the setup to this one made far more than this one, which goes to show you as a setup film, Batman v Superman stumbled this DCEU right out of the gate. And it's, it's infuriating. It really is. If you're someone who loves these characters and you've been dying for them to have their moment in the sun, and on some level you've been waiting for Justice League practically your whole damn life, the fact that this is where we're at now, where the interest level for your seeing your favorite heroes ever is so sort of tepid that it can't even beat a Thor 3, uh, it's, it's, it's very depressing. Um... So we're going to see how it plays out, you know, on Tuesdays when we'll have the, the, you know, all of the final numbers in and we'll see, hopefully it, it performs much better. But at this point, it doesn't look like it's going to touch Batman v Superman and it might not even touch Thor Ragnarok. Yikes. Um, and what this could mean though, what this could mean, I don't want to be all doom and gloom, but there is a silver lining here because if Justice League had overperformed, then that would have meant that films like Man of Steel were, weren't going to get made anytime soon. Now, why is that? That sounds strange, right? Well, look, if Justice League would have done really well, it would have told the folks running DC Entertainment that our franchise is doing exceedingly well so we can continue to expand the canvas. We can do films about Deathstroke. We can do films about smaller characters because clearly people love the DC brand and they're going to come and show up no matter what. With Justice League seemingly underperforming, this now puts a priority on the top dogs. Now, rather than focusing on how far they can expand the canvas, now they're going to focus strictly on the best of the best. 
So that means that films like Man of Steel 2 are going to become a big time priority. And I would not be surprised if in January or February, we hear a formal announcement about Man of Steel 2 being on the imminent horizon, perhaps being the you know being officially added to the slate that currently includes Aquaman, Shazam, and Wonder Woman 2. The very next follow-up could end up Man of Steel 2 or then Flashpoint and Man of Steel 2. So that is the sort of silver lining here. If it underperforms, the folks running DC Entertainment are going to prioritize, and that means that the big-time characters are going to get pushed up and prioritized because Warner Brothers and DC Entertainment are going to realize we can't be over here fucking around with these tertiary characters and getting all obscure. We need to put all our eggs in the baskets of the most bankable, most well-liked characters. And speaking of well-liked characters, Superman has got a bit of a halo around him right now, thanks to the early buzz on Justice League. You know, fans are loving him. Warner Brothers is really, really high on him internally. Henry Cavill is feeling reinvigorated, too. Now, if you pay attention to his interviews, you know, he's happy now with the current state of Superman. He acknowledges that the way he was portrayed in Man of Steel and Batman v Superman were somewhat, uh, shall we say, questionable. Uh, This is not my judgment on it. He said this stuff himself. And he referred to a lot of what Snyder did as more of making films for a niche audience. But now we're going to start seeing the big, broad, lovable Superman that so many of us have been clamoring for and waiting for. So he's feeling reinvigorated. Audiences are loving what's become of him. Warner Brothers wants... Superman to be, you know, the flagship face, especially with what's going on with Batman, which we'll get to in a second. So it looks like Man of Steel 2 is going to get totally um, fast-tracked based on what everything I'm hearing and based on how Justice League is doing. It all bodes very, very well for Superman fans and for people who want to see Henry Cavill get a chance to play the character to its fullest extent. Now, this isn't, you know, I could mention this next part in my review, but I'd rather just sort of tackle it here because it is interesting. Uh, judging by the amount of CG'd mustache region on Henry Cavill that I saw last night in the final cut of Justice League, I mean, it would appear that 90% of what we see of Superman in this movie came from Whedon's reshoots. You know, even that gorgeous scene in the field that we saw in the last trailer, the one that Snyder sent out a storyboard for, that was definitely reworked. So as evidence, you know, like just the uncanny valley of his upper lip was so prevalent to me. It pulled me out of it a few times. Like I said, I'll really save some of that for the review portion of this. But right now, I just like to focus on the fact that a lot of his screen time has the CGI'd upper lip. And we know the CGI'd upper lip is the stuff that was shot this past summer. So, man, I'd love to know what the hell Cavill shot with Zack Snyder, since it looks like practically none of it made it into the final cut. That's all very interesting. And speaking of cuts, while there are reports of a potential ultimate cut, just like they did with Batman v Superman, I really wouldn't get my hopes up, folks, because this isn't like Batman v Superman, where the theatrical cut is essentially just a cut-down version of Snyder's cut. No, Justice League, with all of the added content, is a very different movie entirely. With the ultimate cut of BVS, all they had to do was add in what was cut out. With Justice League, it's not that simple. We not only added new things, but he also found alternate ways to advance the plot and to simplify the plot. So if you merely added all of what was cut into this, it would just be an incoherent Frankenstein's monster of two different movies. No bueno. So I'm sorry to sort of, um, you know, piss all over the fire of people who are dying for an ultimate cut, but I really don't think it's going to happen. For the same reason, we're never going to see the alternate cut of Rogue One. Because remember, Rogue One went through its own trials and tribulations with another director writing new material and directing a whole bunch of new scenes and, you know, a lot of Gareth Edwards' original stuff getting cut out because 
if they were to release the original Gareth Edwards, it would be a different movie than what we saw. So, you know, just keep that in mind. And I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, guys. It's just, it's very, very unlikely. And moving on to Superman's compadre, Batman. Uh, I've got some bochinche there. I've got some gossip, some behind-the-scenes stuff. Some of you may have seen earlier today on elfanboy.com. I published a scoop detailing what the plans are currently for Matt Reeves, the Batman. Now, yesterday, John, John Campia, Campia uh, he revealed that Jake Gyllenhaal is in the running to replace Ben Affleck as Batman. Um, I was actually pretty pissed when that happened, like I said in my report, because I was getting ready to break that story myself. I've been hearing the Jake Gyllenhaal stuff for a couple of weeks now. You know, it's, it's practically been an open secret. Um, and all of a sudden, when I heard that things were suddenly accelerating and evolving behind the scenes, I thought, you know what? I guess now is the time to try to put that scoop together because it looks like this is going to be coming official fairly freaking soon. And then I was beaten to the punch. So my, my scoop ends up, you know, now it's more so just about what else is going on with the Batman. We, you know, with Hall coming on, there are all these questions. You know, is he playing the same Batman as Bruce Wayne? Yeah, as Bruce Wayne, as Ben Affleck. Is this going to be some sort of reboot or prequel? And as I state in the report, the plan right now is to just kind of act like nothing has changed. Just where they're going to sneak Hall into the role. It's going to be the same Batman that we've seen in these last couple of movies. And they hope that you're going to buy into that because he's going to be surrounded by familiar faces. It's still going to be Jeremy Irons as Alfred. It's still going to be J.K. Simmons as Commissioner Gordon. If they end up needing the Joker and Harlequin, it's still going to be Jared Leto and Margot Robbie. And they're literally just going to kind of do what Warner Brothers did with Batman back in the 90s, where they're going to, they're going to go from Keaton to Val Kilmer to George Clooney, and they're all the same Batman in the same continuity. They're not going to reboot it. So this stuff with Hall potentially taking over... It's not like he's taking over and they're going back to the drawing board with Batman. This will be the Batman that we've gotten to know. Um, so that's, you know, th that was the heart of the report. And barring any major changes, I would expect an announcement on this stuff in the next few weeks. Probably not next week or even the one after that. You know, they want to give Justice League a chance to shine at the box office. And if you if you ring the bell and you let all the mainstream people know that Ben Affleck is pretty much quit on Batman, that's going to take away a lot of the excitement to see Justice League. They don't want that to overshadow the movie. So I wouldn't be surprised if we don't hear about anything official until mid to late December, maybe even around the turn of the year. They might try to time it out so that as 2017 comes to a close, you know, new year, new Batman. And that's when they'll announce the Jake Gyllenhaal thing, maybe around January. Who knows? Either way, I would not expect an official confirmation on this for a while. Um, in fact, I would say expect some people to deny the hell out of this for the time being because it's in their best interest to do so. You know, the, the studio and everyone involved, they're trying to sell Justice League. And, you know, confirming this story is going to very much hurt their ability to sell and promote this movie because you're going to let all these people know, oh, yeah, that star who's on all the posters playing the character you guys all love, this is he's done. He's 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 quitting in the middle of this run of the, of this story arc that we were trying to build for you, which, by the way, I think is another one of the reasons why Henry Cavill is going to suddenly become more the face of the franchise. Very similar, actually. This is all off the top of my head. This actually reminds me of what happened over in the MCU right around the time that Robert Downey Jr.'s contract uh, stipulations had finally, you know, they were coming, his, his commitments to Iron Man were finally drying out and he was seemingly done shortly after Iron Man 3. That's when all of a sudden Chris Evans and Captain America became sort of the face of the MCU for a while. You know, his Winter Soldier, his portrayal in Age of Ultron, his third movie, Civil War, he became like the guy for a little while. So as they try to deal with what's going to happen if Downey Jr. 
leaves. Now, luckily for them, they managed to get Downey Jr. to agree to stick around, and he's still here, and rumor has it that he will not be leaving until after Avengers 4. So good for them. They managed to sort of work that out. But in this particular case, it doesn't look like DC's going to be that lucky. It looks like Affleck will be leaving, and that's why they want to make Henry Cavill Superman the real sort of face of the DC Films universe. And that's why I would expect a Man of Steel 2 announcement also right around the turn of the year. But all right, all right, all right, let's get down to the main event, my non-spoiler review of Justice League. You know, it, it's, it's tough. It's tough, and I almost feel like I'm going to have to give this thing two different scores, because it's almost like there's two different versions of me who went to the movie yesterday and who experienced this movie yesterday. There's the version of me that I mentioned in my revisitation of Batman v Superman, the version of me that is basically accepted that these movies that, that these movies sadly aren't for me. You know, I'm not the type of fan that Snyder was aiming for. The uh, the versions of these characters that we've been getting these last couple of years uh, outside of Wonder Woman these are not the versions that speak to me. They don't behave in the ways that really connect with me as a fan. So when I saw Batman v Superman earlier this week, when I saw it for the first time since last year, I actually enjoyed it much more by being less invested, by viewing it as, okay, well, you know what? This isn't for me. Let me just try to enjoy it for what it is. You know, it's not my kind of movie, but for the kind of movie it actually is trying to be, Let's try to give credit where credit's due. So there was that part of me that saw Justice League last night, but then there was also that other part of me, you know, the part of me that lives and breathes Superman, the part of me that could hear some music from an older movie or can think about a scene from one of the older movies and just instantly start crying. You know, the part of me that feels so connected to Superman that I consider him one of my best friends. You know, as Rick Shu of Batman on Film and I were discussing earlier this week, you know, these fictional characters can have great power and great weight in our lives. And so, you know, there was also that part of me, that the little boy who grew up idolizing Superman was also there inside me when I saw that movie yesterday. And these two versions of me felt very, very differently about what we saw yesterday. So I'm going to attempt to break down my observations, and then I'm going to kind of let you know what, what my multiple personalities, what, you know, what, what, what my two different sets of expectations thought of the movie. So right off the bat, I was, I was horrified. Um, this isn't a spoiler, but just in an opening scene, there was evidence in the, in the very, very first moving visual of a live action actor in this movie, there was a CG issue already. And it was a CG issue that to me was so distracting. I couldn't believe that someone signed off on this, that someone said, yes, the first visual that audiences should see is a movie where the CG, it looks like garbage. So that worried me right off the bat. I'm like, uh-oh, wait a minute. If this is what they're going to be trying to push on us for the whole movie, this is, uh, this is fucking scary. So right off the bat, very rough start. I, I, it, just bad times. Um, then as the movie started to go, I was very sort of like unnerved by how different it felt. Remember, this week... I spent five and a half hours re-watching Man of Steel and the ultimate edition of Batman v Superman. So it's all very fresh. You know, Snyder's style, his tone, his pacing, the way that he seems to sort of, you know, introduce his ideas and ultimately sort of get to them. All of that is extremely fresh in my mind. And immediately watching this movie, I could tell this felt nothing like those. And it's very strange. It's like, on the one hand, I welcome the change since I was not a huge fan of those other movies. But on the other, it just didn't, it felt weird. It felt like this is a strange departure. You know, considering this was meant to be, you know, the epic next chapter of what Snyder had been working on previously, 
it felt sort of bizarre to me how this looks like this isn't really a sequel or a follow-up to those movies at all. You know, it, it, it just threw me off. Um, that said, you know, it's got a great pacing. It's, it's entertaining. The characters are very likable. The dialogue is really likable. There's, there's good, you know, there's lots of nice little interesting jokes and bits of fan service thrown through it. And like, you notice that like, while you're going through it, the sort of the pacing and the dialogue and the way the, the likability of the characters really does sort of do a good job of distracting you from what's up with the movie. You know, there are some definite issues with the story. There, there were a few times where I'm like, I don't really know what the hell is going on, but you know what? I'm smiling, so I'm going to go with it. You know, like they really sort of help to to sort of round out the edges. Sorry if it sounds like I'm struggling for words here. It's just, you know, it's the movie's still very fresh. I saw it, you know, a little over 12 hours ago, and then I had to sleep, and I'm still sort of processing, but I want to share my initial process with you. So if you uh, can excuse me as I stammer from time to time, I'm just trying to put it all together and just sort of speak to you from the heart about what it was like to see Justice League on the big screen, you know, for someone like me. Um, yeah, so I, I found that like all throughout the film and even my initial take as the credits began to roll was, this was a very, very bad film that I had a great time watching, if that makes any sense. You know, I could tell that this thing was not, it was just sort of haphazardly patched together and they kind of rushed through certain things and certain things were very underdeveloped and certain other things were probably a little overdeveloped. But overall, I had a very good time watching a movie that was very sort of lacking and incomplete. And that's sort of my sort of general sort of sense for things. Uh, to get more specific about issues I had, you know, I, I discovered something about Danny Elfman's score. Because I've been raving about the score for the last couple of weeks on Twitter. You know, I pre-ordered it and I've been listening to the tracks a lot. Um, and I discovered that I love it as background noise when I'm at home or driving around. But as it turns out, I didn't care for it in the film itself. It felt somewhat lazy and uninspired. I'm actually kind of furious that Elfman clipped the wings off of what Hans Zimmer created. Hans Zimmer and Junkie XL, who scored Man of Steel and Batman v Superman. Um, he threw so much of it right out the window. And I don't understand why. A lot of Man of Steel's score is gorgeous. And they even use it in the, in the last trailer. And in this, aside from like one track, they kind of revisit the Krypton theme during the sequence where we, you know, we're heading towards the revival of Superman. That's not a spoiler, okay? Um, that was like the one, you know, the Hans Zimmer's Krypton theme was the only one that got any play that I could notice in the film itself. Everything else was either sort of generic or harking back to John Williams' Superman theme, which really just didn't feel right at all. Um, in fact, at times it was sort of distracting and sort of pulled me out of it. And as much as I love him revisiting his classic Batman theme, um, it just, I don't know, it, it felt overplayed. Like He did it a lot. He used it a lot. Uh, and then even the Wonder Woman motif, that very famous, the, like, it didn't feel right here. The way it was orchestrated, the way it was used, and the fact that it was only used for maybe a grand total of 5.7 seconds, it felt underutilized, and when it was utilized, it didn't have the same effect that it had in Batman v Superman or the effect it had in Patty Jenkins' Wonder Woman movie. So... The score was a real big letdown for me. And it's funny, too, because like listening to it, I remember that there's a track in like Friend or Foe, it's, I believe it's called, where in the music, you hear what sounds like Elfman riffing on Flight of the Bumblebee. 
And it, and I know that this is the track that had to do with Superman's reintroduction. So I'm listening to it. Naturally, I'm thinking, oh, Flight of the Bumblebee. So maybe this is like a flying sequence and he's like darting around or something, whatever. And I was kind of looking forward to seeing how that would play out on the film itself. But then I'm watching the movie and I hear that music playing and it's just sort of happening in the background and there's nothing flying, there's nothing that that has to do with flying or speed or anything going on. It's just, there's just sort of playing. And, and honestly, a lot of the score feels sort of divorced from the action. It feels just sort of lazily and generically sort of thrown on there. So the score for me was a big disappointment considering I have, you know, I have a warmth for Danny Elfman. I think he's, I think he's done a lot of great work in the past and the fact that, you know, DC movies tend to pay better attention to the score than Marvel movies do, which tend to kind of have scores that are completely disposable, completely forgettable and interchangeable. DC films have always seemingly strived to have more powerful scores, whether you're looking at the Reeves Supermans, whether you're looking at the Tim Burton Batman, whether you're looking at Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy. And then even within the movies in this actual franchise so far, Man of Steel, Batman v Superman, Wonder Woman, the score is much more like you could tell that a lot of thought and care went into the scoring of these films. And that's what made the scoring on this one just so like, ugh, geez, that's, 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 that's some weak sauce. Um, a couple of the things that just jumped out at me is like uh, the, there's some inconsistencies in there in terms of what we're supposed to understand about the continuity. You know, I'm not doing spoilers today, but there's stuff where it looks like Wonder Woman, the movie, tried to fix certain issues from Batman v Superman, but then those issues suddenly pop back up in this, and it feels like oddly inconsistent storytelling if you're trying to watch all these movies as if they are one long story being shared. And I gotta tell you, you know, I've always been much nicer on DC's villains than most people. And when it comes to the DCEU, I've always liked them far more than seemingly everyone else. I was a big defender of Jesse Eisenberg's Lex Luthor and Batman v Superman. I was even a big defender of Doomsday. I still am. I loved Doomsday. And even Jared Leto's Joker that everyone wanted to crap all over in Suicide Squad, yeah, I wouldn't say I loved it, but I would say we didn't really see enough to judge. You know, this is obviously a new interpretation, and I have at least a curiosity in what he eventually becomes, assuming he plays the role a few more times. So when it came to Steppenwolf, you know, I was hearing a lot of bad buzz on him. And I was sort of skeptical. I'm like, well, you know what? There was also bad buzz on Ares from Wonder Woman. And I actually dug Ares. And I, and I dug the third act of Wonder Woman. I was in the minority there where I thought Ares, for everything he symbolized and the way he was portrayed and the limited screen time they gave him, I enjoyed Ares. So I was very much going into this like, watch, I'm going to end up being the one schmuck who loves Steppenwolf. Uh, no, it didn't happen this time. Uh, Steppenwolf, as far as I'm concerned, is a pretty damn weak villain and sort of bafflingly so. You know, when you consider the fact that this is Justice League, here we are, the momentous first cinematic appearance of the Justice League with all these heroes together, they brought in this villain that I've never even heard of and who's just very sort of generic, very generic. His writing was very much just like, I'm just a big powerful guy and I want to take over the world and uh, I'm going to fight you if you try to stop me. That's all there really seemed to be to him. There, his higher purpose was very sort of muddled. His abilities were somewhat vague. He was just a big tall guy with an axe who could take a punch and looks kind of like a billy goat. It was just like, I, 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 I found myself baffled as like, how did we get here? Who said that this would be the right villain? And of course, you know, hindsight being 2020, we know that Steppenwolf really wasn't supposed to be a huge villain. You know, he was supposed to serve as a stepping stone towards Darkseid. Originally, when Justice League was, you know, getting put together, it was going to be this epic two-parter. 
And it was basically Steppenwolf leading directly to Darkseid in Justice League 2. But now with Justice League 2 seemingly on a on an indefinite sort of limbo hiatus and Darkseid barely even being mentioned in this movie, we know that Steppenwolf was essentially switched. At the last second, he went from being like a, a mini-boss to being the boss, to borrow a video game analogy. You know, they turned a mini-boss into the final boss and I think, you know, they're going to pay for it because a lot of people don't care for this villain. And I fully understand why. What I don't understand is why the CG in general in this movie is so crappy. I really wish that they would have delayed the film. I understand why they didn't, but I wish they had because the CG issues were very, very glaring. And a part of me wonders if I would have enjoyed Steppenwolf, if I would have enjoyed the movie in general far more, if they would have just delayed it six months to get all the effects right. Because honestly, a lot of times the scene that I was watching might have been a fine scene, but I was so distracted by how crappy and ugly it looked that I couldn't invest in it. So a part of me wonders, if you send this thing away for six months and bring it back with all of the CG stuff refined, I might find this film to be much, much better. It really is that distracting. It was that damn distracting how bad this movie looked from just a special effects standpoint. Not for the characters, you know, the, the abilities are all animated fairly well. Superman looks great when he's flying and doing all his stuff. And the Flash is actually really cool with all the lightning effects. But when it comes to everything else, when it comes to Steppenwolf, when it comes to the Parademons, when it comes to Henry Cavill's mustache, a lot of the effects leave a lot to be desired. But now let's give, let's give a little credit where credit is due, okay? This film in my eyes, did a pretty damn good job of finally nailing Superman. Uh, the Superman that I saw in this movie excited me, and I hope, hope, hope we get to see Man of Steel 2 sooner rather than later. Uh, it looked like Henry Cavill was really loving the opportunity to play the character this way. He was very sort of endearing and likable and a badass when he had to be. And in general, like Superman felt like Superman. And there were a couple of moments where I think I reached over and I grabbed Kelvin's forearm and I geeked out because I'm like, oh my God, there he is. I've been waiting for three movies to see this guy. And here he is. Yes. So Man of Steel was great. Aquaman was a lot of fun. Jason Momoa, I feel like, you know, with this interpretation of Aquaman, the, the relationship he has with this character almost seems like it's like a match made in heaven, kind of like Ryan Reynolds as Deadpool. You almost get the sense that Momoa was born to play this version of Aquaman. And I cannot wait to see what James Wan does with him next year. Uh, Wonder Woman, I felt like we, I wish, you know, I guess they, they had to prioritize here. And since she was already so well-established in her well-received solo movie earlier this year, she was almost an afterthought at times in this movie. I felt like, you know, I wanted more of her because I loved Wonder Woman so much. And Gal Gadot, I think, is brilliant as this character. So I personally was left feeling like, oh, I wish there was some more of her. But, you know, for what she was asked to do, for what she's doing in this final cut of the movie, I thought she was very good. The Flash, you know... Ezra Miller, guys, I've been telling you for years, I used to see him before he was a household name when he was doing little indie films like City Island, and I'm like, this kid's going to be a star one day. He's just, he's got this magnetism, he's very talented, he's very charismatic, and I, I love his Barry Allen, even though from what I hear, he seems more like Wally West. Um... You know, I, I'm liking his take on Barry Allen, and I'm very excited about the future for The Flash and Flashpoint and what he could mean for the DC Films universe as a whole. Cyborg, um, I don't know what to say about Cyborg. It's an area where the effects got pretty ugly a lot of times and again sort of pulled me out of being fully invested in him. But I got to say, Ray Fisher, I thought, did a very good job. Um, you know, it's not a very emotive role, 
but I thought he did the most with it. You know, kind of like when you watch The Terminator, you don't expect to see Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, hooting and hollering and jumping around and being all expressive. He's playing, you know, a cybernetic organism. And when you think about that and the fact that Cyborg is very, you know, he's mostly machine now, it sort of excuses the fact that the performance itself is somewhat wooden. Like you sort of have to accept that that was a stylistic character choice. He's supposed to be a little bit sort of monotone. And when you think of it that way, I enjoyed what he brought to the table. Do I think he's getting a solo movie anytime soon? No, but I did enjoy Cyborg. Batman is a problem. You know, now as we sort of shift gears here and focus on sort of the elephant in the room, uh, Batman is a problem. Ben Affleck's portrayal here, I don't know what the hell happened. He was so fired up and so intense and and magnetic in Batman v Superman. Where in my eyes, he was like, oh my God, this is the definitive Batman. In this, I don't know what's going on here. To, to sort of quote Aaron Verola, the you know longtime listener and supporter, Aaron and Patreon patron, I should mind, uh, I should mention, uh, to quote him from last night. All of a sudden, Bruce Wayne, you know, Ben Affleck's Bruce Wayne and Batman feels like George Clooney's Batman, just sort of ineffectual, just sort of there to like to deliver one-liners and look handsome in the suit but not really dig under the surface or really get into the psychology of Batman. And I I totally have to agree with that assessment. I don't know what happened this time. You know, first of all, you can tell, you can tell what was reshot and what wasn't. His face and his body weight seems to fluctuate like 15 pounds, depending on what shot of the scene it is. You know, he walks into the restaurant to recruit Arthur Curry in that in that fishing village, and he looks one way, and by the end of the sequence, he's all bloated and pale. Um, so you could ver- so you could visually see the stuff that he shot later on when he had already sort of fallen out of shape and his life was going through its trials and tribulations. But he, and also just beyond that, the way he's portrayed in this, there's none of that awe. Now, yes, there are some iconic shots. Because the costume itself is so iconic, and you have Elfman's, you know, Batman music playing, and Snyder knows how to light a scene and and make things look dramatic. So there's some, you know, some nice iconic visuals, but the character itself has been like gutted, 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 gutted compared to what we saw in Dawn of Justice. This this is like night and day, and I I kind of can't believe it. Uh, he's almost sort of played for laughs. Like they, they go out of their way to humanize him in this. And at times, trust me, it's funny. He has one line in there. I almost like threw things. I was laughing so hard. So, you know, I'm not saying that the humor doesn't land with him, but it's just weird that Batman became somewhat of a punchline and they really, really humanize the hell out of him. Um, like the Batman here. I don't. I can't picture ever standing a chance against Superman the way the Batman and Batman v Superman did. So I don't know, man. I think I think it's a combination of you know whatever Joss Whedon wrote for the new scenes is you know the the tone was obviously very different, but also Affleck just kind of phoned it in. You could tell he's just sort of coasting. He wanted to just, all right, fine, I'm contractually obligated to do these reshoots, so let's just do this. Let's get this over with. I'm over this. I swear to God, that's how it felt watching the movie. And it's very depressing because I I love me Ben Affleck. I love me some Ben Affleck Batman, but apparently he doesn't anymore, and it shows. So that uh, that was a big letdown. And I'm pretty sure that's as far as I can go with this review without getting into spoilers. So let me go ahead and lay my uh, my scores on you. And then, you know, just sort of invite you to come back next week when I have a full-on spoiler discussion with a couple of knuckleheads and we kind of, di- you know, we dive a little deeper. Um, so here are kind of my two scores, all right? The version of me that viewed this as a spectator who just went in there going, all right, you know what? These movies aren't for me. I'm a different type of fan than these movies are built for. So let's just base this on its own merits. Gives the film a B minus. You know, ultimately, you know, it's in the Bs. It's enjoyable. It's not great, 
but you know, it's a pretty, it's a pretty good time if you can get over some of the flaws. Now, for the part of me that wanted to be transported and have an existential life crisis in the theater, you know, for the part of me that wanted to feel awe and shock and have my eyes well up and goosebumps on my skin and to feel like, oh my God, this is the Justice League I've always dreamt of. This is the Superman I've always loved, the Batman I've always loved. It's Wonder Woman, Flash, Aquaman. This is unbelievable. The part of me that was ready to have the biggest nerdgasm ever that's been getting, you know, built up towards for the last 30 years of my life, that would be a C. Um, That would be a C. And even that might be a little too generous. I don't know. But, you know, based on the fact that there was hardly anything in this movie, aside from a couple of those Superman moments that I mentioned, aside from those couple of Superman moments, there was nothing about this film that on that level felt epic or earth shattering or monumental. You know, I didn't, I I didn't get those feels. I didn't get those jaw on the floor. I can't believe how epic and amazing this is feelings. It really was just sort of a lightweight affair. It's a very lightweight movie. There's nothing, there's no real food for the soul or there's nothing for you, no food for thought, things for you to consider and take home with you afterward. It's just, you know, you go there for two hours, you have a nice time watching some nice superheroes, do some nice stuff, but there's nothing to it. And for me, you know, while I, I, would, I was able to sort of overlook that sort of stuff with Thor Ragnarok, at least for me, Thor Ragnarok didn't seem to have as many inherent flaws as a movie. And also, there's just the fact that I'm not that invested in Thor. So for me, the stakes aren't that high. So for me, as the as like just the little kid inside me fanboy, you know, I was perfectly pleased with Thor Ragnarok. But that little boy inside me that wanted to love this movie was so let down by how underwhelming and unepic this felt. But I can't go higher than a C. And who knows? As, as time wears on, it might go a little further down. I, I don't know. I don't know. But for right now, those are my scores. A, a B- minus as a spectator and a C as a lifelong Superman fan who's been dreaming about this stuff for 30 years. All right? So, guys, thank you so much for joining me for this special Justice League bonus episode of the All Fanboy Podcast. Be sure to leave me some reviews, subscribe, go to patreon.com slash lfanboy if you'd like to contribute to the cause. Uh, Visit lfanboy.com to read the full lowdown on that Batman scoop that I broke earlier today. Thanks for listening, and until next week, adios. Adios.